Hey Life Ken, Roger here, Director of Student and Young Adult Ministries. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're a brand new listener or a returning one. Either way, welcome. Welcome to a community where God is on the move and we believe that you belong. And and we want you to get plugged in and to participate in this community. And one of the ways to do that is by giving. Giving to support the mission of this church and what God is up to, especially as we pursue our 10-year vision of reclaiming our identity in Jesus and bury the torch of Jesus' love and justice. So head over to our Life Church Canton forward slash give page to be a part of that. But still the summer, and we are still in our series on Second Timothy. This week, you'll hear a message from Pastor Jared. Go ahead and give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a few minutes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to say hello to anybody listening to the podcast a little bit later on. Glad that you are with us, and I hope that you feel or sense a presence of God and his spirit as you're here today, as we just sang. Uh, and we also hope that you feel like you belong. Uh, our code, or sorry, our vision here is that you reclaim your identity in Jesus so that you can bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. That's a big vision that we have for all of us here at this church. Specifically, we're going to be focusing in on the reclaiming part today as we continue in our series on Second Timothy. But first, I want to make sure that you get connected. So if this is your first time here, maybe you've been coming a couple times, but you haven't connected with us yet. Uh, we have made a habit now for the last several weeks to put a QR code on the screen. You can go ahead and take your phone out and show it. Uh, and everybody else is doing it. It's okay to follow the crowd in this moment. Uh, pull your phone out, open up the camera, and then uh, zoom in on that QR code. This is going to take you right to our Connect card, and then that's going to help us to be able to uh, help you take your next steps. Uh, we are in a series in Second Timothy. We've been going through this all summer long. If you have a Bible uh, with you, a physical Bible, or you have the Bible on your phone and you want to join with us and with me, I'm going to be in Second Timothy chapter 4 here in just a second. Uh, but first, as I have been reflecting on this section that we're going to be looking at in a, in a second, uh, I've also been recounting some of the things that remind me of these passages, and that is this. In my time as a pastor, I've had lots of different kinds of conversations with people uh, who are all over the place in terms of what it means to follow Jesus, and specifically in their expectations of what it means to follow Jesus. And oftentimes what I hear in conversations is that people have an unrealistic expectation of what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. They're unrealistic in terms of what they expect because of their view of Jesus, their view of God. Oftentimes, and this is going to sound a little juvenile, oftentimes I think people's views of God are more like Santa Claus than they are of Jesus, right? He's an old bearded guy in the sky or in the North Pole, and he's just there to kind of give me stuff. He's kind of involved, but really when it's nostalgic, uh, but then every other part of my life, all the complicated parts, he's not really involved. And so we have this unrealistic expectation of what God is like. And then when it doesn't work out for us, when things don't go the way they're supposed to, or when they don't go according to our plan, we become pessimistic toward God. And we leave the church, we leave God, we leave our faith all together. And I think it's formed by what I like to refer to as coffee mug Jesus, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are drinking out of a coffee mug right now that has a verse on it, and that, that's, I'm not talking about you, okay? Uh, there's no shame in that. Drink your coffee. Enjoy. But coffee mug verses uh, is, is like these sort of one quick 
quotes, uh, quotes uh, uh, from Scripture that are maybe taken out of context. They're sort of cherry-picked verses that become life hacks for our, our faith, right? We have commercialized Jesus and Christianity into these little statements. We've reduced Christianity into these little inspirational quotes or verses that we think are going to get us through life. And I think as a result, it's developed an unrealistic, unhealthy expectation of what it means to follow Jesus. And then actually we lack a fuller understanding of all of the scriptures and all of its complexities, We're getting to the end of this letter, and it should be read as a letter, by the way. This isn't a textbook. It's a letter. And as we get to the end of this letter, we're going to get to some of the parts that are the final words and greetings. It's the parts that we don't really know what to do with. If you've grown up reading any of the Bible or any of Paul's letters, you get to these parts, and these are the parts you skip. Because there's like There's not a whole lot there. There's not really much that we can discuss. There's not a whole lot of life application. And they are definitely verses that don't fit on a coffee mug. But here's the reality. Is life is more complicated than what can fit on a coffee mug. In fact, that's what we should put on a coffee mug, right? That's what we need to be reminded of. Life is more complicated than a coffee mug verse. I want you to show, I want to show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to go into 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 18. What I'm going to do first is I'm actually going to read the whole thing because I want you to get a feel for the emotion of Paul, for what he's going through in this moment, the complication of his situation. Here's what it says. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if you feel this way, but when I read this, I'm like, Okay, so we're talking about Timothy, and now we're talking about these other guys. Oh, we're talking about what to bring when you visit. And now we're talking about some other guy who uh, did him much harm. And now we're talking about another event all in this one section. It's like all of the leftovers. Like, let's just get all of this stuff in here and then just see what comes of it. It's a little all over the place. It's scattered. Did you get this sense? Like, what in the world is Paul talking about? This is, this is probably why people tend to rush over these sections. It's why commentaries don't really have a whole lot to say about these sections. Because it's just like, man, Paul, I, I, don't, I can't gather what you're trying to tell me. It's just, it's every little thing and that none, none of it really connects. And so there's not a whole lot of meat and potatoes here. There's not a lot to chew on. It's, there's not a lot of life application. There's certainly, this, this wouldn't fit on a coffee mug. It's kind of all over the place. But here's what I think is important for us to pay attention to. I think that this section gives us a lesson in moving us from being unrealistic and pessimistic 
to being realistic and optimistic. What do I mean by that? I think so many of my conversations with folks, followers of Jesus, there's an unrealistic expectation of what it means to follow Jesus, that everything should just go according to plan, everything should just be easy, and it, uh, we can just reduce our faith into one simple sort of life inspirational, life hack verse that can fit on a coffee mug. And then when it doesn't work out, we become pessimistic toward God. Like, God, where are you? Why didn't you move in this specific way? We need to move from that to being realistic about what's actually going on in our lives and engage that into our faith so that we can be positioned for an optimistic view of what God actually is like. That's what I want us to do. So we're going to go back to verse 9. We're going to talk about some of these sections in parts. Let's look at verse 9 together. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and then we're going to skip over verse 13. We'll come back to that. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he has fought against everything we said. I, I don't want you to focus so much on all of the different names and all of the different locations of where all of these people are from and what they did and where they are. What I want us to focus in on is Paul's realistic explanation of his relationships. He is being very realistic, very honest about all of these people that have been engaged in his life, some for really good, some for not good at all, and some for really bad harm. He's been all over the place. He's feeling pain. He's feeling abandoned. He's, he's experienced all different kinds of interactions with his friends or people who were once his friends. The reason I think this is important to look at and to, to, to kind of see the scatteredness of it is because I think it tells us something about Paul's humanity, his humanness, his failed relationships, some have left him because he sent them, and some have left him because they no longer want to associate with Paul. Here's also why I think it's important to pay attention to, because last week, if you were here, we heard Pastor Darren say this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful, and now my prize awaits me. We make Paul into this sort of deified, idolized, spiritual giant. Yeah, he is super spiritual, he's super confident, and then this, Timothy, can you please come right away? Can you come be with me? These people have left me. In fact, only Luke is with me. And also, if you come, can you bring Mark too? I miss you. Why? Because he's alone. He's terrified. We learned last week that there's a pretty good chance that this is going to lead to death. He's in prison and this is probably his last stop. He's probably anxious and worried and struggling. And maybe he's even asking the question, am I going to die alone? Nobody wants to die alone. I think this is actually a universally profound and sad thing. Just last week, my family, we went on vacation back to Minnesota where we had lived for about 13 years and developed a lot of great friendships. So we we're going to visit uh, a lot of folks that we hadn't seen in three years, simply just because of the pandemic and other schedules and things. 
We visited with our old neighbors who are like the farthest things uh, from, from Christian. They don't believe anything about the church. They, they respect me, but they're just like, nope, I don't want any part of that. But what was interesting in our conversation as we were sort of recounting the events of the pandemic, one of the things my neighbor said to me, he said, so many people died alone and that's not okay. What is it about the fact that this, this person has no faith, doesn't believe in Jesus, yet he recognizes the weight and the depth of dying and dying alone? See, I think why we need these verses, why we can't just skip over these verses and why these verses don't really fit on a coffee mug is because these verses can minister to us in our grief, in our loss, in our pain, when relationships don't go according to plan. And I've talked to so many of you who are experiencing all different kinds of losses and grief. And for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, some of you have grown up in churches or in families or in spaces where you have been told, get over it, suck it up. It's not okay. Just move on from your grief. Move on from your pain, from your loss, because that's what Jesus would want you to do. I'm so sorry that that's what you were told because that's not what these verses convey to us. Paul is realistic about his situation and when we are unrealistic in our expectations of following Jesus, we fall into this trap of thinking that everything should go well all the time, that all of our relationships are perfectly seasoned with the love of Christ, that we can navigate through any conflict just fine, but then when reality sinks in. And all of a sudden we're like, wait, wait, this isn't supposed to happen. These friends aren't supposed to leave me. I thought this was supposed to work out in this specific way and we become pessimistic toward God because of our unrealistic expectation. We're deeply dissatisfied. We deconstruct our faith, which is very trendy right now. And I actually Don't blame anybody for deconstructing their faith because they were given a version of faith that I think actually needs to be deconstructed. We leave churches, we leave God, we leave friendships because it doesn't work out the way that we expect it to. So our pessimism, our pessimism is often people-related. But Paul is realistic about the people. It's realistic about the people that have hurt him, that have abandoned him, that have left him. And in the midst of it, he somehow maintains an optimism. Luke is still with me. Timothy, I miss you. And so I want you to come. And and if you come, will you bring Mark? See, there are people in our lives, the ones who stick with us in the midst of our pain are the ones who are ultimately loyal. They're the most powerful friends, aren't they? The ones who stick with us even when it gets hard. This is Paul's realistic situation. Now I want to go back to verse 13 because it's a sort of a sidebar. Let's look at verse 13 together. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. What's this one about? This doesn't feel like scripture. It just feels like a sort of a, a PS at the end of a letter, which is kind of what it is, Right? 
This is exactly what it is. Hey, if you come, can you just make sure I left my phone charger on the counter in the kitchen and I need that? And also I need extra underwear too. No, it's just very simple. It's just a simple request. Here's the problem. When we deify guys like Paul, we lose his humanity. And oftentimes pastors will idolize Paul when they talk about him. He wrote most most of the New Testament and so much of what he has said has inspired us. So much of what he has said ends up on a coffee mug as well. He's a spiritual giant. And then this, can you bring a coat? Because I'm cold. Simple. Can you bring some books and some parchment paper? I want to read something. Simple. Basic. Excruciatingly basic. He has needs. Paul believes he's about to die. He thinks he's going to meet Jesus. He has fought the good fight. He has kept the faith. But he's cold and he wants to read. That's it. Just a simple, practical, basic need that Paul has. We can't skip over verses like this because we become unrealistic in our expectations of Jesus. We fall into this trap of thinking that we somehow transcend above the natural world, above our natural needs. We think that we're supposed to be sort of these supernatural beings that are above it all. And we usually fall into one of two mindsets, either a depriving mindset or a deserving mindset. If we're in a depriving mindset, if we don't have certain practical needs, then we continue to shield those away from us. Well, I don't, I don't need that because I'm, I'm supposed to live in this situation. I'm supposed to deprive myself of anything that is related to comfort, anything that is good. And so we deprive ourselves. Or if somebody comes to us and offers us something, we say, no, 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 I can't accept that. And we, we develop this sort of false humility, like I don't need that. Or we go into another mindset, the deserving mindset. If I have this relationship with Jesus, then I deserve certain material things. I deserve happiness and material wealth and affluence and prosperity. I deserve to live in the American dream. And we marry Jesus and the American dream and consumption all together. And we fall into this deserving Mindset. And so any kind of pain, any kind of discomfort is like, well, wait, that can't be God's will for my life. And we make up different theologies about God. Deserving, depriving. There's a third way. It's like this. Learning to be content, but also not being afraid to ask for what you need. This is all throughout Paul's life. He says in another letter, I have learned to live with much and learned to live with little. Jesus is in moments where he's having great, wonderful meals with really affluent people and then times where he is picking seeds of grain out of a field. Learn to be content, yes, but don't be afraid to ask for what you need. And this isn't an either or, this is a both and. Learn to be content and don't be afraid to ask for what you need. We could talk about a a variety of different physical needs that you and I might have, but I think the one that is most top of mind for me and for a lot of the conversations that I've been a part of is related to your mind. 
a mindset has to do with mental health. Mental health is something that doesn't often get talked about in the church. Why? Because that's sciency and that's scary and we don't talk about that because we only talk about matters of faith and mental health is science and we can't talk about science. That's absolutely the opposite of what the scriptures show us. Paul is also the one that talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Here's what I think is what we absolutely have to talk about. Far too many Christians experience unhealthy shame because they think that they're supposed to just get over it. They think that there's something wrong with me if I can't just move on from my depression, move on from my anxiety. I've been told maybe in churches that I grew up in that I just need to have more faith if I can't get over this. And specifically, just last month was BIPOC Awareness Month. People of color, communities of color, there is a massive negative stigma with talking about mental health, especially if you find yourself in a church. We need to adopt this saying that it's okay to not be okay. Christians feel discouraged when they can't pray it away. And this shows up in a depriving mindset and a deserving mindset. Depriving, saying, well, I I don't need a counselor. I don't need medication. I shouldn't have to go to those things because I just need to increase in my faith. Or the deserving mindset that says, "I, I shouldn't feel this way. I deserve to feel happy and healthy. And so I should be able to just fill in the blank. All of it's rooted in shame. But that song that we learned this morning, Honey in the Rock, God moving in the impossible and in the improbable, but also God moves in the probable. Gives people basic needs, gives people manna on the ground because why? They need something to eat. Paul needs a coat because he's cold. He wants something to read because he is anxious. God can move in the improbable, yes, but he can also move in the probable. God can move in the supernatural, yes, but he can also move in the natural. As we were talking last Wednesday, going through this message, David gave some really great feedback. He said, what people need to understand is that sometimes God's answer to your prayer might be a person or it might be a prescription or both. God wants to move in our lives in the area of mental health. It's okay to not be okay. Let's look at these last verses, starting in verse 16. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. He moves into the optimistic stage. Yes, but not until he addresses the realistic situation of where he's at. He talks about an event that has taken place where he felt all alone. He felt abandoned. 
people left him. But then he uses this phrase, may it not be counted against them. How many of you, uh, when you think about some of the people that maybe have betrayed you in your past or abandoned you or a broken relationship that you experienced, are you in a place, am I in a place where I could say, may it not be counted against them? That's a little bit harder. And do you recognize the words, or not necessarily verbatim the words, but sort of the concept of what Paul's getting at? It's similar to the words of Jesus. We sang about it. Jesus, as he's dying on the cross, according to the gospel of Luke, uh, of Luke, he is being crucified to die. And somehow, as he's looking at all of the people, all of the crowd, all of the scoffers, the accusers, all of those who hate him, the scapegoating, the hatred, the violence, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does it take to get to the place to be able to say that? To say that to your accusers, your enemies, those who betray you. Jesus is realistic in his pain, in his situation, and yet he is authentically optimistic as he moves toward, trends toward forgiveness. And then, not only that, it doesn't just stop there, but the very next recorded thing that Jesus says as he's in a conversation with the criminal to his side, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is realistic and yet optimistic about his situation, and then it moves toward joy. What about for us? Can we, can we move along that continuum? Can we be honest? Can we be realistic about the pain that we experience, about the loss, the grief, and then trend toward an optimistic forgiveness, ultimately toward joy? share about myself. A couple months ago, I gave uh, one of the messages from 2 Timothy, and we talked about Timothy, who once again was abandoned by his friends, but I shared an experience that I had had, a feeling betrayed, feeling abandoned by some folks, and the pain that came with that. And then just a couple weeks ago, I actually ran in to one of these folks. And I don't know about you, but for that moment, for the feeling that I had, there was this instant, visceral, emotional, physical, almost nauseous feeling within me. I just froze up. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And I don't know if I had convinced myself that I was never going to like run into this person again or never see them again, but I just didn't know what to do in this situation. And it like this physical feeling took over my entire body like never before. I've never had anything like that before. And it was like all of the feelings of the betrayal and the abandonment rised up once again within me. And it was a really quick moment. It passed by quickly, but then the emotion just stuck with me and I didn't know what to do with it. Simultaneously, for the last couple months, I've been meeting with a counselor to process a whole lot of things. This just happened to be one of the things that I was able to process with this person. And we talked about it. We talked about the emotion that I felt, the abandonment that I felt. I was able to talk about what led to that moment. And I was able, with his help, to 
own the pain, to embrace it, but then not let the pain own me. And as we processed through this realistically, it was hard. Because he asked me, could you get to the place? Because let's, let's be honest, there's a good chance that you're going to run into these folks again. Could you get to the place where you could say, I love you, I forgive you, may it not be counted against you? Quite honestly, I'm not at that place yet. Don't have it all figured out. Surprise. But I am trending in that direction, trending toward forgiveness. Hopefully trending toward joy, trending toward the place where I could say, may it not be counted against them. What does it take to get to that point? See, sometimes when we have unrealistic expectations of following Jesus, we think, we convince ourselves that every little piece of transformation that takes place in our lives is supposed to just happen just like that. With the snap of a finger, with the blink of an eye, it's just supposed to happen. It doesn't always happen right away. It's a process. Transformation, most of the time, is a process. I'm not there yet. I'm not at that place where I can say, may it not be counted against them yet. But it's moving in that direction. I'm trying to be realistic so that I can remain optimistic for who God actually is. I want us to move from being unrealistic and pessimistic to being realistic and optimistic. How do we do that? Let's talk about realism. Embrace the messiness. Embrace the messiness of your situation. See, when I think about my situation, I think about the counseling that I've gone through, the conversations that I've gone through, the betrayal, the abandonment, the feelings, the physical, visceral reaction that I had. None of that can fit on a coffee mug verse. And it shouldn't have to because life is more complicated than a coffee mug verse. Embrace the messiness and be honest about what you need. Be honest about your pain Get real with what you need to ask for. Don't be afraid to ask. Stop believing that Jesus wants you to just get over it. That you're supposed to just fake it till you make it. That you're supposed to just plaster a smile on your face and say everything's okay when everything's not okay. Don't go out in the lobby today and say, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. As you're fighting back tears and the emotion that you're actually experiencing. Don't fake it. Embrace the mess. Do learn to be content, but don't be afraid to ask for what you need. This is all part of reclaiming our identity in Jesus. One of the things my counselor told me is you need to get to the place where you can embrace the security of who you are and who God is. Can I embrace the security of who I am? Sometimes I need help. 
And sometimes that means surrounding myself with trusted friends. I want you to surround yourself with trusted friends. One of the best ways that we can do that is by getting plugged into a group. Those are going to be happening this fall once again. If you have not yet gotten plugged into a group, this fall is the time to do that, to be surrounded by trusted friends. Optimism. How do we move toward optimism? Well, that word, optimism, the root word is optic, which is another word for how we view things, how we see things. Can you shift your view, your vision of God away from Santa Claus and more toward the image of Jesus, who Jesus actually is in all of the realism, in all of the pain Move toward an image of a loving and firm parent-like figure who knows what's best for you. And then respond to the calling that God has for you. To, yes, bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. But guess what? Bearing the torch doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out. Doesn't mean that you've completed your process. It just simply means that you're honest about your process. And in fact, somebody said this last Wednesday in our meeting. They said, you know what? We're actually going to be better positioned to help and to minister to the poor, the marginalized, and the disenfranchised who are coming to our church if we too are honest about our pain, about our realistic situation, as we trend toward forgiveness and love and hope, and joy. As we close, I recognize that some of you are hanging on by a thread. Maybe this is your last hope to give Jesus one more shot, to give the church one more shot. Perhaps you have been one of those pessimistic folks. You've begun to deconstruct the faith that you were given. And honestly, I don't blame you because there's a lot of stuff out there, stuff that I grew up with, visions, images of God that are destructive, that are unhealthy, that are unrealistic. Yes, deconstruct from that, but then begin to refill, to reconstruct a more fuller, a healthier, a more well-rounded vision of God that we see in Jesus. That we see in Paul's situation, being real about his, his journey. So that you can be positioned for optimistic hope and joy. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray. To pray an honest prayer to ask the God who is real in Jesus to come into your life. Would you pray with me? God, some of us are pessimistic. We have given up on some version of Jesus that was presented to us that told us we just have to get over it. We just have to suck it up. That pain is not from you.
God, help us in our grief. Embrace us. We're promised that you are close to the brokenhearted, not because we've got it all figured out, but because we are in the mess. And you are the only one that can carry us out of it. And that process of carrying us out of it is, in fact, that. It is a process. It might take time. So God, give me the strength to be okay with the time. I don't know where the next step is. And I don't know that I have a fully optimistic view of who you are just yet. And I don't know that I sense all of the hope and the joy that comes with following you. But I am going to take a risk today and step out in faith and trust ultimately that you love me and that you're enough for me. Well, I hope you enjoyed Pastor Jared's message. I think it was a reminder not only of Paul's humanity, but our humanity. Our ability to not just uh, experience joy and peace, but also to grieve and to experience hard things. A humanity that God and Scripture not only makes room for, but encourages us to live out in our community of faith. So if there's anything you're going through, whether it's related to this message or just in general, we want you to know that you belong to this community. Uh, You belong to God, so you belong to us. And we want you to experience support uh, and love in those moments. So if there's anything you're going through, reach out. Uh, Best way to do that is through a connect card um, to let us know if you have any prayer requests or if you just want to connect uh, so we can direct you towards uh, life groups and other opportunities for you to be a part of this community. So reach out and do that. But I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you not only find joy and peace this week, but comfort and support in this community and from God. Uh, Have a blessed week. We'll see you again real soon.